Welcome to Point Me to Jesus. I'm your host, Tara McClary-Reeves, and this is truly a joy of a lifetime for me because I get to interview one of our family's lifelong friends. I have known this man my entire life and probably taken a little bit for granted just what an amazing hero you are. Not only an athletic hero, but a hero of the faith. When y'all read Hebrews 11, uh, this man's name is in those last few verses where God says, you know, I can't list everybody there, but you are certainly there. Well, and what an honor to have you with us, Bobby Richardson, today. Thank you, I'm honored to be here, and your dad and I go way, way back. You, and what a wonderful family you have, and the Lord has used you in so many ways. Well, I cannot thank you for the, the impact player you have been in our lives. And I want to talk a little bit about Bobby Richardson. Many of you know him as uh, a, an award-winning World Series player. And let's talk a little bit about some of those uh, World Series wins. You also still have the record as the MVP of a World Series. And you are selected from the losing team. Well, you know, that's his, that's historical right there. That's the only, you don't. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it really started when I was 14 years old. 14 years old, I went out for the high school baseball team. We're playing basketball. I went out two weeks late, had a three-day look from the coach and came up to the big guy that went out with me and said, you've made the team, lads, and coverage, but Bobby Richardson, you come back next year. A little disappointed, but my dad said, try Legion Ball. Went out for the American Legion team. They won the state championship, regional championship, playing in Charlotte, North Carolina against Richmond, Virginia. The winner would go to the American Legion World Series in Omaha. Before the game, they took us out to see the film, Pride of the Angels. Story of Blue Gary. Gary Cuppa played the part in the film. Babe Ruth played his own part. And I thought, man, what a great organization. I'd like to play for them. Got to the game that night, still 14 years old, and there was a Yankee scout there. And he came up to me after the game and said, uh, I can promise you, you'll have a chance to sign with the Yankees when you graduate from high school. They kept in touch. And so that was the start. I couldn't wait to graduate from high school. The day I graduated, I signed with the Yankees, quick three-day workout, worked my way through the minor leagues, and then at 19, joined the Yankees. And here's a good part. 1955 was my first year. In 55, we played the Dodgers, 56 the Dodgers, 57. It was before Atlanta. It was Milwaukee Braves, 58 Milwaukee Braves. 59 was the only year we didn't win. The White Sox won that year, but 60 we played the Pirates, 61 Cincinnati, 62 San Francisco, 63 the Dodgers, and 64 the Cardinals. Can you imagine winning nine out of the first I 10 can. years? <laughs> and World Series, that means every year. In those days, no playoffs, just the right. one in the American League would play the one in the National League. And um, I do hold a record of playing in 30 consecutive World Series games. That's over a five-year period. And I do hold some records like the most RBIs in the World Series, the most hits in a five-game series, the most hits in a seven-game series. You won the Golden Glove five times. Five consecutive Gold Gloves. Eight times an All-Star. Eight times an All-Star. That's right. Out of the ten full years that I played for the Yankees. So I retired at 30 because I wanted to spend more time with my family. And Tony Kubek and I roomed together my whole career in the Miners and Neighbors. We both had a young family. We both decided we had had one nine out of ten years. We wanted to retire. And we both did. This picture that I just want to mention, I think it's in your book, Impact Player, and I do want all of our watchers and listeners to get your book. 
uh, it actually, the Bobby Richardson story was written years ago in the 1965, which, you know, that was one of the first books that my daddy had me read, one of the first autobiographies. And then Billy Graham, the Gospel Films, made a movie of that book. And then in 2017, there was a re-release under Impact Player. There's a picture floating around that I found recently of you and Mickey Mantle. It was taken, I believe, on the first day that you were with the Yankees. Yes. And what, what is special to me about that picture, knowing now the history of, of you and Mickey, you're both looking up like you're looking towards heaven. And I just love the symbolism in that. And I want to talk a little bit about that because you were the one that God used. Well, really... you, you won't believe, but I was 19 years old. I'd just been called up from Denver, Colorado. And uh, Mickey, I was sitting in the dugout, and Mickey said, hey, Rich, he said, come over here. He said, I'm going to make like I'm showing you around Yankee Stadium. So we're both pointing and looking up yeah, at the Yankee I love Stadium. That picture. And he said, I'll guarantee you within a minute, there'll be two or three or more photographers come over. They'll take a picture, and it'll be the headlines in all the newspapers tomorrow. Well, it wasn't a minute. They were there, click, click, in the New York Times, the Daily News, they actually had that picture. <laughs> But the thing I remember is I had actually gone up to work out for three days before that. And I was to put on a uniform, go out on the field and feel some ground balls, and then come back into the cage and take some swings with the regulars. Wasn't about to step in front of Yogi Berra or Hank Berra or any of those. But Mickey Mantle came up, put his arm around me and said, come on, kid, step in here and take some swings. And it started a friendship that lasted a lifetime. You didn't by any chance save one of those minted Mickey Mantle cards that just went for $12.5 million, did you? I, I, I feel for his son. His son didn't save any either. And, oh, man. Oh, that was kind of the highlight of the news last week. Oh, but you know what I, I would most appreciated was the fact that during that time I had a great rapport with my teammates. Mm -hmm. Now, all these years later, I can look back, and out of the 25 I started with, I've had uh, a part in 12 of my teammates' funerals. Several of them I had the whole funeral, but, uh, but in particular, Mickey Mantle was uh, one of the first that I had. He died young. Roger Maris died a little bit younger, at 51 years of age, and I had the eulogy at his funeral. And I remember we were in, in uh, Minnesota, and it was so cold up there, and uh, after the service was over, Mickey Mantle sat by me in the motorhome going back to the hotel and said, I want you to have my funeral. I don't remember answering him. I thought, well, boy, that'll never happen. And, uh, and then I saw him about two years later, and he said, now, don't forget you to have my funeral in the golf tournament. And my boys were with me. He said, you boys come over here. You can see your dad anytime. Ride with me. And we just kept a rapport those years after baseball. He came down to Sumter. We gave away 2,000 Mickey Mantle bats to all the young boys that came out of the game, and we raised enough money to build a YMCA in Sumter. And he came down and had a batting exhibition for young eight-year-old boys at Carolina when I was the coach there. Forty years later, we had a, a film made of Mickey giving instruction to those boys, and 40 years later, we found one of the boys said, what was it like? Having the icon of baseball to be your instruction. The boy said, I remember only one thing. When you finished the, the action, he said, uh, we asked Mickey Mantle if he'd take one swing. He hit the ball out of the park, over the football field, into the parking lot, and said, you jumped up and said, stop, we can't do this. My car is parked over the fence. <laughs> <laughs> what a rapport we had. And, uh, and then it turned into an opportunity. What was your testimony? When did you become 
to know Christ in such a special person. I, I lived in a great place in my little small hometown of Sumter, South Carolina, one block from the YMCA, one block from the church I attended, one block from the school system. My grandfather was chief of police, one block the other way in Main Street. And uh, I was active in church, and I had two great Sunday school teachers. Boy, they gave us their time, and us young 12-year-old, 10-year-old boys listened intently as they opened the Bible and shared verses like when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Turned to Romans and pointed out that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and I knew that in my life I just believed God in many ways. Pointed out the penalty of all, the wages of sin and death, eternal death. But then he shared the good news that Christ died for my sins. He was buried and he was raised again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that day, as a young teenager, those two those two wonderful Sunday school teachers made an appointment for my pastor. They said, uh, you need to talk to the pastor. And I went over and he went over God's plan of salvation in a very simple way. I knew that I needed a savior. And I responded that day. The first to seal my decision was John 1.12. But as many as received him, in Jesus Christ, to them gave me power to become the sons of God. I was 12 years old, and uh, it was a growing period in there for me, a wonderful church that uh, those fellows mentored me. And then at 17, when I signed into baseball, my very first year, Johnny Hutton was a teammate of mine, a wonderful Christian. And uh, he just uh, kind of took me under his wing. We went to church together, spent time in the Bible together. When I became the baseball coach, University of South Carolina, I brought him down to be my assistant coach. He just uh, had a real impact in my life. And I would say, Miss Betsy, the Lord brought Miss Betsy into your life at what age? Well, I got married young. I got married. It's funny because we were playing in Denver and AAA, and Betsy and I had been up to New York for a little while and was sent back down. And we talked about getting engaged. And uh, then, you know, I said, Betsy, We've talked to your mother, and we've talked to our pastor, and he says it's all right for us to go ahead and get married now. We're a little young, but he thinks it's all right. And so uh, we set a date, and I asked the owner of the ball club if I could have a week off to go home from Denver and to, to get married. And he said, see this thing I've ever heard, wait till the end of the season. And I, Ralph Howard was my manager, said, absolutely not. Go ahead, get married, and I'll give you a long off as you week. Two of us were married. And she just loved the Lord with all of her heart. Just a wonderful Christian. Had such a rapport with the wives of the Yankee ballplayers. And, and it's the reason that I've always grew up and uh, went into ministry and did other things for the Lord. When Mickey was sick in his later years, tell us about that. Well, a little bit before that, we used to go into, let's say, Detroit. And there was a Christian sports writer. He called up and said, hey, Rich, I've got a, uh, a church that has an early service. I'll come by and pick couple of guys up if you want to go to church today and I'd always go back and I'd go and I'd uh, say to Mickey, would you like to go to church? He said, you know me, I'll be out late, but if, I, if I, I'm dressed and I'm there, I'll go with you. If not, I'll go the next time. And about six out or eight times he'd go with us, he'd be there. I remember one time we went out to this church and this time we didn't have somebody pick us up. We took their cab out and I said, Mickey, because you're here, we have to leave a little early now because everybody wants your autograph or a picture with you and so forth. So we, pastor started winding down and we eased out. He shut it off like that, came running out there and said, I want a picture taken with Mickey and my son. And we were late getting back. And I remember that Red Barber was there, the broadcast, and he said, uh, he laughed a little bit when we told him why we were late. 
And he said, why don't we just have the devotion in the dugout? He said, I'll lead it. I'm a lay leader in the Methodist Church, and I'll, I'll be glad to lead it. And that was really the start of Baseball Chapel. Oh, wow. And then that sports writer and I went to the commissioner of baseball, Louis King. He gave us $20,000 to start Baseball Chapel. The first one we had was an all-star game. We had seven there. Now, every team in baseball has a chapel right on down from the major leagues through all of the minor league teams this coordinated. So, so many come to the practice through that baseball chapel. Mickey had called me up and he said, uh, I want you to pray for me. He said, I'm in Baylor Medical Center. And he said, I'm in, in the midst of chemo and I really won't bother to pray for me. That's the end of the call. When I got there, I said, Mickey, let me share a verse with you. I said, there's a person. Uh, Corinthians, I said, it says, I like the Phillips translation, it says, do light yourself in the Lord. Find your joy in Him at all times. Never forget His nearness. And then it says, tell God in detail your problems, your examples, and the promises, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep our hearts and minds as we rest in Christ Jesus. And we had a wonderful time, Betsy, what happened, spent the next two days with his wife. And then we went back home to South Carolina and the call came in from Mickey. He said, uh, he said, I'd like for you two to come out and spend my last days with me. He said, I've been through Betty Ford now, don't drink, but I'm waiting for a liver transplant. And we immediately were on a plane going out. And I remember so well, and that's where Betsy entered into it. I remember so well that I walked in one day and he had a smile on his face. And he said, I can't wait to tell you this. I want you to know I'm a Christian. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I think I cried a little bit, and I said, Mickey, let me go over with you just to make sure you understand <laughs> what old gospel of salvation that he loves us. He said, his son, the Lord Jesus, just shed his precious blood and promised in his word that we would repent of our sin and receive him as Savior. We might have everlasting life. He said, that's just what I thought. Well, I couldn't wait to tell Vince of that, and when I did, she said, well, maybe you didn't explain it right. Let's go back. Let me talk to him. <laughs> we got back, and they were buddies, and he said, that's it, Mickey. And she knelt down by him in a bed and reclined in the adjoining room. And she shared her testimony. And then she asked him to make you the question, if a holy God were here today, and he would ask you the question, why should I let you in my heaven? What would you say? And he said, that's the we're talking about God. And she said, that's right. He started for John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave us all of a guidance son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He had a real peace. He told the doctors he was ready. And we found out he'd been listening to an audio of Pete Maravich's testimony. Yeah. Probably the most humble testimony I think I've ever heard. And uh, that's what uh, turned him to. Let me tell you a little background. In that particular month, day, and year, in 1995, I was working for David and Mary Wood Beasley, who was then governor. Yeah. And I was personal assistant to the first lady. And my office was right across from the family quarters, so I was right up there on the second floor, and your beautiful bride called my mom, Deanna McClary, and my dad, Cleve McClary, and had them praying for y'all's meeting, and then they called me at the governor's mansion. So then I, of course, told David and Mary Wood, so we were all praying. Well, then Betsy called. I still have chills. I can remember it. Betsy called, and George and June Reichert had been praying, so Betsy called and said, I need you to tell everybody that Mickey is going to be in heaven with Jesus. He just accepted Christ. I remember I was riding home across the George Washington Bridge, and my son, who reminded me so much, he was about six years, seven years old, had the birthday today, and he was reading real well. And he said, hey, Dad, 
He said, here's a letter from Canada. He had some words. He said, you can use this. Feels like the Lord be on it. It was called God's Hall of Fame. It says your name may not appear down here in this world's Hall of Fame. In fact, you may be so unknown that no one knows your name. The trophies, the honors, the flashbulbs here may pass you by, and neon lights are blue. But if you know and love the Lord, then I have news for you. This Hall of Fame is only good as long as time shall be. But keep in mind, God's Hall of Fame is for eternity. This crowd on earth, they soon forget the heroes of the past. They cheer like mad until you fall, and that's how long it lasts. But in God's Hall of Fame, by just believing in His Son inscribed, you'll find your name. I tell you, friend, I wouldn't trade my name, however small. That's written there beyond the stars in that celestial hall, for every famous name on earth, I'll glory that this year. I'd rather be a unknown here, have my name up there. That really says it all. It really does, but I will say, I want you in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You need to be oh, there. No, no, no. <laughs> Most I important played, to be in God's Hall of Fame, but I, I tell you what. Hall of famous, I played on a Hall of Fame ball club that won a lot. Reading your statistics. Oh, listen, I don't think anybody can see your stats and how they could ever argue differently. I do not know. You know, we ask you your highlights. What's What was your most embarrassing moment as a player? Well, I was out in the bullpen one day, was not even playing in the game, and Casey Stainville said, hey, get Richardson to run. We need a faster runner on first base. There was somebody there, and I came running from the bullpen, and I looked around, somebody, I was on first base, I could see somebody on third base. What I didn't know, Hank Bauer was on second base. He'd gone in to get a water fluid while they were changing pitches, and I didn't see him come back on second. So the pitcher went into the windup, and I thought, man, I'll steal second. And I slid in the second half. I said, what are you doing? <laughs> and they tell me that Casey Tinkle jumped up in his head and knocked himself out. Like, that was my worst one. That yeah. is classic. That definitely is. Well, tell us about Bobby Richardson Day, because I loved what happened that day because of your heart for the Lord Jesus. But uh, it was a wonderful day, and I got on a jet plane and flew home my kids at school went back for the last two games of the season. And I didn't play the next two weeks. He wanted me to work with the young second base that was going to take my place. But he said, would you have a devotion for the team on the last day? And we'd like you to be in uniform and play that last day. And I did. And uh, Elston Howard and a couple others did some good maneuvering. And all the players came out for that devotion. Kevin Ziola, your friend, my friend, Pete's friend, spoke that day, presented the gospel so clearly. And the young second base was to take my place and play for the next seven years, came up and said, I've never heard that before. A personal relationship with a living Savior who gives to us an abundant life. I would like to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And so it was a long day and then some wonderful gifts. I honeymooned in the Poconos, and I went back. And you spoke, I believe, five times on the Billy Graham crusade. First time was in Madison Square Garden. There's a story to go with that. We uh, had an owner of the New York Yankees by the name of Larry McPhail, and his daughter had come to know Christ, Alvin Pierce, who led her to Christ. And uh, she had been praying for her dad, and finally we got him to go to Madison Square Garden. He got there, and it was 16 weeks of wonderful services. Turned him away, it was filled with capacity. But Cliff Barris heard about it, went out and got it. I take it back, it was Grady Wilson. And he went out and got him and brought him back, sat him on the stage between Grady Wilson and George Redmond's shed. And when the invitation was given, he was the first one to receive Christ as his Savior. But then I was with him also at the Astrodome with the president in attendance. 
know, some discouragement at that time. 50,000 people there. Hawaii on national television twice in Japan. We're going to bring my dad in, but before we do, I want to ask you, who is your hero from God's Word? Is it possible? Yeah. Paul. Yeah. And you mirror him in so many ways, don't you? <laughs> well, as we continue, point me to Jesus. I am sitting between two heroes of the faith. My fabulous father, Cleve McClary, who I love dearly, 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 and his best buddy, Bobby Richardson. And I just want to talk a little bit about the importance of influence and consistency with testimony and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bobby, you say that at 12, those two Sunday school teachers shared the gospel with you. The Holy Spirit just absolutely moved in your life at that particular time. You're both from South Carolina. I'm here with two South Carolina heroes for sure. Bobby from Sumter, South Carolina, and Cleve McClary from Georgetown, South Carolina. So I've always said this is the sovereign state, and I believe it. I'm just so grateful for y'all's influence. But Dad, your testimony is a little different because you did go to church in yeah. Sunday school all of your life. And um, how I want to talk about knowing about the Lord is not the same as knowing the Lord personally as your Lord and Savior. So if you could tell a little bit and how the Lord used this man right here to solidify that decision in your life. I tell think, Terry, um, I'm like uh, so many people in America that just grew up in the church, grew up in, in, with the Bible and teaching. A uh, good guy, didn't drink, didn't smoke, pretty fair athlete, not, not like Bobby by a long shot. But um, I knew all, knew all about God and, and believed in Jesus. But I never invited him in my heart, and uh, was wounded in Vietnam, and, and uh, God had a purpose in that. Sometimes I think we get so excited about ourselves, what we're doing, and Marines and athletics and everything. Got your feet knocked, got my feet knocked out from under me, and had to look up. And uh, came home on leave. Deanna drove all the way from Philadelphia to the hospital there while I was still in the hospital, and between surgery and. Got to her hometown and read the paper. My hero was going to be out there, Bobby Richardson, in the crusade. <laughs> yeah. And in message that night, he said, there are two kind of fools in this world, a fool for Christ, a fool for others. He looked out, he said, whose fool are you? Whose fool are you? And I knew that night whose fool I've been all my life. I had a lot of it in my head, but I didn't have Jesus in my heart. And we came forward, you mom and I, and Sam Anderson just went home with the Lord. From Hemingway, South Carolina, from Tennessee, but had a little church in Hemingway. He counseled with us, went through the Roman road with us, and we confessed our sins and invited the Lord Jesus to come in our hearts, and we hadn't got over it. And, well, Steve had a board, and I was on his board for a long time. Yeah. And uh, he had an athletic background, and we just, every time we were together, we hit it off, whether it's hunting or. Just like the fellowship as a man in the prayer. Yeah. When I got down, I had a bad day or something bothered me. I'd call James Hamlin and he'd pray with me. Same thing on Gilbert Turnout. We dove hunted yeah. with Same in Arizona. Thing. I miss those two men as much as anybody in my life. And, and you could call them any time of night or day. And they're ready to pray with you and talk with you and counsel and love on you. I mean, you need that. You really well, I think that. both of y'all are good examples of yeah. doing that. Yeah. I mean, y'all yeah. reach out. I mean, you've. You've got a whole posse right there in your family. You have 18 grandchildren <laughs> and 18 great-grandchildren. That'll keep a man busy just for a whole year right there calling all those people. But I've watched that, and I think that's been such a testimony to me. We're in this age of instant gratification. People will send you a text, or you know. but y'all really get together and spend time with each other. And I think 
that is that is so needed today for exactly. for children and uh, millennials and Generation Zers to understand the importance of just that one on one time listening to these stories. That's true. And I've I, always I, thought the line that's going to be waiting to greet <laughs> Bobby Richardson and Cleve McCleary in heaven is going to be an eternity line in itself because of the people that the Lord has allowed y'all. I mean, the Lord, the Holy Spirit changes hearts. You don't. But you have definitely been the obedient channels of blessing to share the good news of Jesus Christ to millions of people all over. I mean, all over the world. Well, I just want to thank the two of you and Miss Betsy and mom for y'all's willingness to give what it takes because y'all have been so obedient to the call of the Holy Spirit on your lives and you're not finding the strength in yourselves, but you know where the power comes from. It's uh, the verse in Zechariah that says, it's not by might nor by power, but by his Holy Spirit. I did want to ask you this, Coach Richardson. Um, with your dad being in the tombstone business, did that verse, Psalm 90, verse 12, ever resonate? And that verse says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Yes, that's my favorite psalm, the 90th psalm. And uh, I, I remember using it uh, at Whitey Ford's funeral when I had a very short time. And I wanted to say what was I thought important, and that talks about how rapidly time is moving, and how much there is that needs to be accomplished. That life is a tale that is told and is soon cut off. But then that twelfth verse says, "Teach us to number our days, that we might apply hearts into wisdom." And how the Lord bookends that. Thank you for being with us today, and we hope that you've been blessed. But if Mick could hold a press conference from where he is today. I know that he would introduce you to his true hero, the one who died in his place to give him not just a longer physical life, but everlasting life, his Savior, Jesus Christ. And the greatest tribute that you could give Mickey today would be for you to receive his Savior too.